to the Southcliff Podcast. We're glad you've joined us. Now, here's Senior Pastor Dr. Carol Marr with this week's sermon. Well, today we continue to study, and if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and open it to the book of Joshua, chapter 1, as we continue a series of messages I started last time we were together talking about a new normal that we have as Christians. God has given us a new life, and that new life has a new normal, and that new normal is victory. In fact, last week I told you that God's desire for every believer is that we live our life abundantly, that we live fully, that we live victoriously. And yet, Even though we know that, I think that most of us might not define our life that way. Most of us, as we look back over the course of our life, might not say that we live in victory. And if you're like me, you sometimes ask the question, why? Why is it that the people in the Bible seem to have this thing figured out and we struggle so much? Why is it that that Paul seemed to have a handle on that victory thing and and the followers of Christ and others, even in the Old Testament, the book of Joshua, why is it that he was able to live in victory and and I'm on this side of the cross and know more about the gospel than than he did and, and I struggle and can't seem to make it work? And then I I think uh, about, well, maybe, and maybe you come to the same place, maybe the reason we struggle is that this victory thing is reserved for the spiritual superstars. Maybe this really isn't for everyone. Maybe... Maybe it is for just a handful. Maybe there are just those people that for some reason God has his hand on their life and and he raises them up and they need to have that relationship with him to do what he's called them to do. So, So maybe that victory really is just for a handful of people. And that's why I don't have it. I'm not one of those superstars and I'll never have it. In fact, we see them, don't we, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, that hall of faith, we call it the hall of fame of the Bible, these people that God used in miraculous ways because they had this kind of supernatural faith. And I remember thinking, well, that's the answer. Because the Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 4, for whoever is born of God overcomes the world. And the victory that overcomes the world is our faith. Hmm. So if everyone born of God overcomes the world, the victory that overcomes the world is our faith. What I need is more faith. And so I begin to pray for more faith. Have you ever done that? God, I want more faith. I want the kind of faith that allows me to be that overcomer to to live as you have called me to live, and I pray for more faith, and somehow I still struggle. And it leads me to the place where I think, well, maybe just a handful of people are to have that kind of faith. I think all of us believe 
that we will win in the end. You know, I, I think we all believe that. The Lord's going to be victorious finally, but it's going to be close. We kind of see the Christian life like a football game where the Christians are against Satan and it's fourth quarter and we're down to three seconds left in the game. And in the final three seconds, the Christians are going to kick a field goal and we're going to win the game 17-14. It was close, but we're going to win. Well, the problem with that is that the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 8, but in all things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. Now, if we overwhelmingly conquer, you know what that means? There's really no contest. It means that the goal or, or the, 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 the end score is going to be 100 to 0, not 17-14. Not We're going to win this thing 100 to 0. And yet, we struggle even when we hear that, don't we? Because there's something in us that says, well, I, I, I think we're going to win, but man... I think it may be close. And then I kind of stumbled upon something. The next verse. Sometimes the next verse becomes the most powerful verse in our Bible study. Have you, have you, have you figured that out? I mean, the verse that I quoted for you a moment ago that allowed me to walk away thinking that maybe it's a supernatural faith that others have that I'll never have in John chapter 4, verse 1 John 4, 5, and this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. So I need more faith. And then I read the next verse. And you know what the next verse says? And who is the one who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Well, that's not super starve faith we all believe that if you're a Christian you believe that you believe that Jesus is God he came to earth and lived a sinless life and died and rose again you believe that and he says who is the one that overcomes the one that believes that the what he's ultimately saying is that this life of victory really is reserved for all of us. It's for all of us. It's not a superstar faith. In fact, it's not the amount of faith that you have that matters. It's who your faith is in that matters. It's our response to God that gives us victory. It's our response to God that gives us victory. It, response is the key. In fact, let me, let me tell you this. We experience what God says about us when we respond to what God says to us. And, and let, let me repeat that. We experience in our life what God says about us 
when we respond to what God says to us. All our Christian life is a matter of response. It's how you became a Christian, isn't it? You responded to God's love and his invitation. He invited you to be saved. He convicted you and showed you that you are a sinner. And he, and he said the response is for you to repent, turn from your sin to receive him. And if you're a Christian today, it's because you responded to God's invitation. You sought him because he sought you first. You love him because he loved you first. And then the Bible says we receive him, and as we receive him, we're to walk in him. It's, it's response. Now, as we return to the book of, of Joshua, and we begin to look at Joshua and how God leads him into victory, we begin to recognize that there's a threefold response that Joshua makes to the word of God that guarantees the victory that becomes the picture of his life. And in our time together today, I want to look at that threefold response to the word of God because I think that not only does it lay the, the foundation for his victory, but it lays the foundation for our victory as well. And, and this couldn't come at a better time at the beginning of a year that we begin to establish the change in our life that will allow this to become a reality for us. So if you have your Bible, Joshua chapter 1, we're going to look at the same nine verses that we looked at last time we were together as we began to see the foundation of all that happens throughout this book. Beginning with verse 1, we find these words. Now, it came about after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, cross this Jordan, you and all this people to the land which I am giving them to the sons, giving to them to the sons of Israel. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you just as I spoke to Moses. From the wilderness of this Lebanon, even as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, as far as the great sea toward the setting of the sun will be your territory. And no man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. And I will not fail you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous. For you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to the fathers, their fathers, to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, so that you may have success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. But you shall meditate on it day and night so that it may, you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. And then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have success. Have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? Do not tremble or be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Now in that text... Josh is called by God to make a threefold commitment to the word of God that will ensure his success. And I believe that we learn from him that that is necessary for all of us. 
And so for our time together today, I want to look at three things as we move forward. Number one, I, I want you to recognize that God has called Joshua, and I believe he has called us too, to a, to a place of making this kind of commitment to the Word of God. And the first that we notice with Joshua is that commitment to accept the Word of God. If we're going to be victorious and overcomers, we must accept the Word of God. Now, uh, immediately your response is, I already have. I have accepted the Word of God. I believe the Bible. I believe the Bible is true. I believe the Bible is God's Word. We would say collectively as Baptists that we believe the Bible is God's Word and, um, and it, uh, it contains no error. We would say that, that it is infallible and it is inerrant and we would use those words to stand firm on the Word of God. And we say we believe the Bible. It was funny, I, uh, before coming here, I was pastoring a church in South Louisiana, and South Louisiana is predominantly Catholic, and so we had a lot of Catholics that attended our church, and it was not unusual on a Friday to have someone call the office and ask what time Mass was on Sunday because of that Catholic community and influence, and we had a bunch of Catholic friends. In fact, I had a dear friend of mine who was a Catholic priest, and we would meet together on a regular basis and have lunch and talk about theology, and, and I remember saying, to him on one occasion, I said, now I've learned something about Catholics, and I'm going to pick on my Catholic friends here. I said, I've learned something about Catholics, especially those that have been coming to our church and, and attending our Bible study. And I said, I'm going to tell you what I love about Catholics. I love the fact that Catholics believe the Bible. They just don't know what it says. They believe it. I mean wholeheartedly accept it. I believe everything in it, but they don't read it. They've never read it. Now, I jokingly pick on our, our, our Catholic friends, but really that's true of every denomination, isn't it? There are some of you that are here today and you would fight for the truth of the Bible, but you don't have a clue what it says. You would fight for the Bible. I believe the Bible, it is true and it is the foundation of life. And you hadn't read it in years. You don't spend any time with it. The last time you picked it up is when you brought it with you last Sunday, but you've not spent any time in it. Isn't it amazing? So when I say to accept the Bible, accept the Word of God, I'm not saying that we believe that it is true to accept the Word of God. Listen to this. This is what I mean. To accept the Word of God means that I accept it for myself. I own it for me. You see, what God said to Joshua was this. Everything I said to Moses applies to you, Joshua. You've got to own this word now. You're not going to live in your relationship with me because of what I said to Moses. It's now about what I'm saying to you. Everything I said to Moses, I'm saying to you. And the Word of God has got to be alive for you. This is what I think it means. It literally means that we say to God in the course of our prayer, God, I believe this book contains stories and events and promises and principles, but these events and these stories and these promises and these principles are not just limited to past saints. It speaks to me today. This book is relevant for my life right now. And just as you've been with Moses, I will be with you, Joshua. We've got to say, you know what, God? This book is mine. Do you understand? 
To accept it means that you believe that God has given to you a book with every answer you need to listen to me. Not survive in life, but thrive in life. God has given to you a book, and he has said, as he has distilled everything in history, this is a God that knows all things. And God that knows everything says, I have put together in a book everything you need to thrive and overcome and live in victory while you're here. I've given you everything you need right here. And you've got to own it. It's got to become yours. You've got to believe that everything you need in life is right here. Every question we have is answered right here. Every challenge and direction and insight necessary to navigate the world is here. This is that how-to book, that owner's manual that enables us to live victoriously. It starts there. We've got to accept it. I bought a, a new tool not long ago and it came with an owner's manual and I pull it out of the box and look through the owner's manual. And you know one of the things I noticed that is most helpful in good owner's manuals is that not only does it have script, but it has pictures. And do you know that the picture that God's word has of you is a picture of someone victorious, someone who overcomes, someone who doesn't just barely get by in life, but someone who lives life in abundance. And how do we get there? Well, it begins when we accept this word for ourselves. It's mine. It's not something that God gave the pastor. This is for me. And so it's mine and I own it and I take the promises of the Bible and I apply them to me. When Jesus said to his disciples, my peace I give you, I'm going to take that promise and say, and you know what? I'm going to accept that peace God you gave for me too. And Paul says, I've learned that I overcome. I'm going to accept that for me too. And I too can overcome through Christ's love that is in me. But secondly, not only do we have to accept the word of God, and we notice that Joshua, the first challenge and his first response is to accept the Bible as his own. The word is his own. But the second thing he does is he abides in the word. We'll take that New Testament word Jesus gives us to abide. The heart of God's commission to Joshua dealt with his relationship to the law, to the word of God. God makes it clear that the only way that he will succeed in this first chapter, God says, Joshua, the only way you're going to succeed in living life the way I have called you to live it is to know the word of God fully and to follow the word of God faithfully. Joshua, you're going to have to know this word. It's, you've got to apply it to you. This is you I'm speaking to. 
You have got to, to pay attention to what I say and live as I have called you to. In the text before us, he said, this is how you will be prosperous. Do you know the word prosperous that's used there means to make good decisions, to make wise decisions. I want to ask you a question. How many problems have you had in life because you made a bad decision? How many headaches have you experienced as a result of, of unwise decisions? You know, and, and this is what I've discovered of me. It may not be true of you, but if I were to kick the person most responsible for the problems that I've had in life, I wouldn't be able to sit down for a week. Because most of the time, it's not other people that cause the problems. It's me. I've made dumb decisions in life. I need wisdom. I need to make good decisions. And you know what he says? If you will make the word of God yours, you will prosper. You're going to make good decisions. You're going to make wise decisions. Suddenly you're going to have wisdom. You're going to have insight. You're going to have direction. And isn't that what we're asking for? So many times, I wonder how many of us are saying, God, give me direction. Give me wisdom. Help me understand. And then I pray and I pray and I pray. God, tell me what to do in this situation. And, and, and I come to the end of my prayer time and there's, you know, I'll even ask him, God, let me dream. Have you ever done that? I have. God, would you just come to me in a dream? You used to do that all the time, and I'm having a hard time hearing. You spoke to Joseph in a dream. Would you just speak to me in a dream? And we, and we cry out to God, and we say, what is it you want me to do? How is it? Give me wisdom. Give me direction. And God just seems silent, and I get no direction. And so then what do I say? Well, I guess I've just got to figure it out on my own. Maybe God is wanting me to figure it out on my own, do my own thing. And that's how I get into the bad decisions that I get into is because I'm assuming that God hasn't answered where God is saying all the time, I've already answered it, Carol. Here it is. You spend time in this and you're going to have the wisdom and the direction and the insight that you're looking for. And as you're praying for direction, open this and watch as I begin to provide it. And so what do we discover that we have to abide? So the, the word prosperous means wise decision. It reminds me of the words of Jesus in John chapter 14, that precious chapter where Jesus, so sensitive to his disciples, knew as he was preparing them for his own death, he knew they were going to have a hard time, man. They had left everything to follow him. They didn't understand. They thought the Messiah was going to come and overthrow the Roman rule. And, 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 and they didn't understand that he came to die. And even though Jesus constantly would say that and, and, and lay the, the, the foundation for that truth, he knew that they weren't going to get it. And so he offers these wonderful words in John 14. You remember that? You believe that passage of Scripture, it says, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me and my Father's house and many dwelling places. That great verse, our passage. But later on in that chapter, he's still preparing them for his for, for, for his death and, and, and resurrection, for the challenges that are coming. It, it, the, it, it, he says this in John chapter 14, verse 21. He says this, he who has my commandments and keeps them is he who loves me. And he who loves me shall be loved by the Father and I will love him. And listen to this, and I will disclose myself to him. Guys, if you keep my word, that's how you show you love me. You keep my word. 
And, and if you keep my word and you demonstrate that love, I'm gonna tell you something, you're gonna be overwhelmed with God's love. You can't out-love God. And when you love on God by keeping his word, he's gonna love on you and Jesus says, and I'm gonna love you. And I love that last part where Jesus says, and this is what I'm gonna do. You know, I'm gonna show my love. I'm gonna disclose things to you. I'm gonna, we're gonna have an intimate relationship. I'm gonna talk to you. I'm going to be able to share things with you that you might not have known. The word keep, when he said keep my word, it means to have a watchful eye on something. It's a nautical term that speaks of, of a sailor who keeps his eyes to the stars and he navigates by the stars and he knows that I have to see the star to stay on course. To keep the word of God means I keep that word so that I stay on course. That's why God says to Joshua, do not depart from the word, to the right or to the left. He even says this, don't let it leave your mouth. It needs to be the source of your, thinking, your, your speaking. It's to direct your conversation. The word of God's what you ought to be talking about. When's the last time you had a conversation with someone about what you discovered here? See, that's the fun thing about Bible study classes among Christians is that, that it gives us this opportunity to come together and say, let me tell you what I found. Let me tell you what God revealed to me. Let me tell you what God showed me this week. Or our question, is it possible? And we, we dialogue about the word of God. He said it's to be the source of our conversation that we're talking. When we're talking about the word, we're, we're seeking that direction. We're keeping that word. We, we find the insight we need. He said in the text before us, meditate on it day and night. It's to be the subject of our thoughts. What he's saying is that this book is to impact your thinking. Where you stand politically if you're a believer, is impacted by this book. Where you stand economically, physically, with the money in your life is influenced by what's in this book. The way you treat your wife, the way you treat your husband, the way you treat your children, the way you treat your neighbors, the way you treat your enemies, all of it is influenced by what this book says. And as we spend time in it, it begins to influence the way we think. And it, and it creates for us a worldview, a way of seeing the world through the lens of Scripture. And as we keep it, that's what it means to keep it. Keeping our focus on it our attention on it, our mind on it, our eyes on it, not allowing it to depart to the right or to the left, God begins to reveal things to us. And that's where the answers to our prayers come from. Often when we pray and ask God for something, he doesn't answer us verbally, audibly, or even in our mind. Often the answers are right here. There are times in my life when I consistently am reading through the Bible and I'm praying and asking God for something. 
And weeks later, after I have spent time asking God and finding no sense of direction, I finally consistently in a plan of Bible study, I read the next verse and I finally get to a place and I read that verse and immediately it is as if, the God, as if God says, hey, you remember that question I asked you? There, there it is. Let me tell you a quick story. I didn't plan on doing this. Um, and it's dangerous, but I'm going to do it anyway. Uh, and, and I've shared this with you, but it's been a long time, so you have already forgotten it. Um, when my children were small, I remember on one occasion, Michael, my oldest one, asked for something. He was about, I don't know, six, seven years old. He asked for, um, for his birthday a Disney movie. That's back when Disney would release movies every so many years. You couldn't get them anytime. They would just release them. And you had a window of time. You had to buy it then or you couldn't get it. And so he asked for this Disney movie that was about to be released. That's, I mean, that's a no-brainer, isn't it, for a birthday? So as soon as it was released, Tanya and I went to the mall. and had a Disney store in those days. And uh, we went to the Disney store and we bought that that DVD, and uh, it's probably VHS. But anyway, we bought it, and we brought it home, and we had it. Now, it just so happened that same year was the year that we went to Disney World as a family. And we went to Disney World before Michael's birthday. So we went in May. Michael's birthday's in June. We went in May, the last part of May. So we're on vacation. We're at Disney World as that movie is released. So one evening, we went to a Walmart to buy some stuff. We're staying there a week, so we, you have to get all the snacks and stuff that you need for your day. So we're in there with the kids getting all of our stuff, and my little seven-year-old Michael comes running up to me, and he says this to me. He says, hey, he had the movie in his hand. He knows we're on vacation. He knows that we spend money on vacation that we don't spend any other time, right? He knows dad says yes to things on vacation that he would say no to any other time. And so he runs up to me with that DVD in his hand and he says, dad, it's here, it's, can we buy it? But I knew something he didn't know. I'd already bought it, but I couldn't tell him because to tell him is to destroy the whole thing and have to buy another gift. You know what, how parents think. And so I'm thinking to myself, I, I, I can't tell him. And so I said to him, no. To this day, I remember his expression. He didn't understand. That wasn't a bad request. It wasn't out of the ordinary. It was not expensive, why, why, why would you say no? And I couldn't tell him, I just had to say no. And it bothered me for weeks until his birthday. His birthday rolls around, we have all the friends over, He's long since forgotten this. Friends there, he's opening gifts. It was back before you took gifts home, which is the, never. We, they used to open gifts, honestly, while the people were there. And so he opens his gifts, and he finally gets to the one where mom and dad, and one of the things that we got him for his birthday was that DVD. And when he opened it up, he looks at it, and he sets it aside, and he starts to go to the next gift, and I call an audible. I say, nope, time out, time out, time out. Michael, come with me. And I bring him off to the side, and I said to him, son, 
you remember when we were in Disney World and you brought that to me and you asked me for that? Do you remember that? Yeah. The reason I said no is because I'd already got it. It was already bought. It was already there. It was already waiting for you. And I know it didn't make any sense at the time, but it just breaks my heart that I had to say no to you. But I want you to know the reason I had to say no. You know, I, I, I wonder if sometimes God's not that way. And we're praying, saying, Lord, what do I do? And God's saying, I've already given you the answer, and it just breaks my heart that you're begging me to tell you something I've already told you. Abide in my word. Accept my word. Final thing that he says, and and we're done. Apply. Act on the word of God. As you can see from what we have talked about, we've got to be doers of the word, not hearers only. He even says in the text before us, do. Be careful to do all that is in the word. It's not enough just to know it. You see the problem I mentioned picking on Catholics is that they believe the Bible and don't know it. Let me pick on the Baptists. Baptists know it, we just don't do it. We got more Bible studies going on in Baptist churches than any church I've ever seen. Man, there are some of you, you don't just come to Sunday school on Sunday morning, you come back on Thursday to another Bible study. And then you're in a BSF Bible study class. And you know, listen, we have, pe- we have people in our church that have gone to seminary. And some of you are, are, are not, don't have a sense of calling. It's just close to seminary. I go and, and I audit. you know more about the Bible than any people I've ever pastored. It's not about knowing it. In fact, knowing the Bible allows us to know about God. But let me tell you this. Listen, listen, listen. Living the Bible allows you to know God. Not about him, but to know him. It's when we do it that we know him intimately. That's when he gives us his power and his grace and his strength. It's when we begin to do what we are reading, that we begin to walk in victory. You know what's interesting in the text before us? God had already given the land to Joshua, right? He says, this promised land, I promised to the forefathers, I have already given it to you. But then he says this, it's weird. Everywhere your footsteps in the land is yours. Even though God had already given it to him, he still had to walk it off. He still had to walk it out. It didn't become his until he stepped on it. Even though God had given it to him, it wasn't his until he stepped on it. Everywhere your foot touches. And it was, it was given, it's as if he is, he is giving only as much as he is able to walk across. And you know, I think God does the same to us today. God gives us only as much as we walk across in obedience. Only as we do it does God give it to us. It's in our obedience that we work in cooperation with God. It's in our obedience that we express confidence in God. It's in obedience that we demonstrate the confidence we have in the presence of God. As we continue to look at the life of Joshua in the days ahead, what we're going to see is him do what God said. And whenever he does what God says, he's prosperous, he's successful, he's victorious. When he fails to do what God says, 
he fails. And I think the same is true for us. Oh, you believe it. But when's the last time you read it? Is it possible that the last time you picked this book up is when you were here last Sunday? Well, we need to accept it. We need to abide in it. And we need to apply it, act on it in our life. And when we do, when we do, it's not the super star Christians that overcome. It's you and it's me. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the message you've given us today, the opportunity to respond to its truth. And, oh, this is so powerful for us because we all walk in this. Help us to have the heart, God, to, to get in your word and to begin to pray and, and not just pray, but to read your word, to just kind of walk through every day, read consistently through so that you can speak to us because you have preserved this word is your word to us. And we're not going to hear it if we're not in it. So I pray that we would find the courage to stay in your word as we have discovered today to walk in the victory that's yours. If there's one here who's never accepted you as Savior, I pray that today would be the day that they would hear the voice of the Holy Spirit calling them. Our success is in response to you and we come to you by faith responding recognizing we're a sinner, asking you to forgive us of our sin. That's how we respond. I turn from my sin to you. I pray that if there are those listening that have never accepted you today is the day they make that decision as well. In Jesus' name, amen. From everyone at Southcliff Church, thank you for joining us today. If you would like more information about Southcliff Church, please go to southcliff.com to share a testimony of how God has encouraged you through this ministry. Send an email to scpodcast at southcliff.com. That's scpodcast at southcliff.com. Click the Give button on our webpage to discover how this ministry is supported. Your financial gifts help accomplish the mission God has given us.